So let's open up in prayer. Let's um, give our students to the Lord and give our time to the Lord. And then I'm going to tell you a little bit about who I am and what we're going to do today. Sound good? All right, let's pray. Lord, you are so good. And your heart towards us is one of delight. And we just sit in your presence this morning in awe of that, and we thank you. And you have put each of us in positions where you have asked us to share of your love to others. And Lord, our hearts just desire so deeply for our students to know you and to believe that you are who you say you are and to live out of that. And so we just give them to you. We thank you that you desire that for them way more than we even do. And we thank you that you can and will accomplish that in them. And yet, you invite us into it with you. And we thank you for that privilege. And we ask that you would just use this time um, to remind us of who you are and who we are. And that you would equip us with something today, Lord, that we can take back, that we might use to continue to draw students into your presence and into your life. So we give you this time, and we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, thank you. Um, my name is April Murray, and I'm still a little bit in shock that I'm here with you guys. I'm excited about it. I'm not sure how I ended up here, but I'm going to tell you a little bit of how I think maybe I ended up here. So I have spent most of my adult um, professional life in education, primarily in secondary schools, although I've taught preschool and I've taught college. So those are the, the outliers. But a lot in secondary schools and a lot in middle school, and I, I love teaching middle school. So not many people can say that, but I learned pretty early on that if you can teach middle schoolers well, you are teaching well. And if you can teach middle schoolers well, you can teach anyone. And so I kind of took that as a challenge and just really enjoyed my time in those years of learning from them as I taught with them. I taught at a Christian school in Charlottesville, Virginia called the Covenant School, and I would be either in the history department or the theology department depending on what they needed and just different things the Lord was doing in my life. So I actually stepped out of the classroom in May and we figured I had prepped about eight courses there in one of those disciplines. So we've got this weird background where I got to teach geography for three years and know all this weird stuff about the world. Um, And I've also gotten to teach the Meyer Prophets and can geek out with you about that. So it's just, it's been really, really fun. Personally, the Lord, probably I would say about 20 years ago when I started having babies and I was home with them and I had three under three and a half at one point, um, I started to become really, really aware that like, I was leaking out, my, who I was in my inner being was leaking out in their presence, and that's who they were actually getting. I was truly, fully, really myself, and it wasn't always pretty. And so the Lord and his kindness brought me into um, the knowledge of spiritual formation, and these idea of these practices, and these ideas that, like, yes, you're beloved, and there's things you can participate with Christ in as he continues to work on who you are becoming. And I was really drawn to it because of the abundant life that it promised. I could actually, the Lord could actually do work on this heart that the stuff that leaked out more and more looked the way it was supposed to, and I could be me, right? And that is a lifelong process, but it is a really beautiful freeing process. And I, in, that, in my mind, that's what the spiritual practices do, is they ultimately put us in line with Christ. They start to give us the mind and heart of Christ, and we start to become more fully who we actually are supposed to be because of that. So I've had those kind of two parallels, and about seven years ago, we got a new headmaster at my school, and he came from a classical background. And classical can seem very pretentious, 
and boring and memorizing you know, Latin and all that. But that's actually not what I found. What I found was a really holistic view of education. And I found that the classical model, because it came from ancient Greece, doesn't see education as a way to impart knowledge. It saw it as a way to form people. And that you were actually being formed by your teacher. And what was happening in that process was more valuable than any knowledge. And here's the scary thought. Your students would become like you. So for the last seven years, and this is all tapping into the spiritual formation stuff that I'm learning. And so for the last seven years, I've been trying to kind of integrate that because I'm seeing all these similarities. The things that work well for students to learn are the very same things we need to be formed well in our spirits and our souls. So I've had a lot of fun geeking out of that over the last seven years. And in the spring, I stepped out of teaching formally um, and have moved into, I'm working on a master's in Christian spiritual formation and leadership. And I'm geeking out over this. So here's my disclaimer. In many ways, what you're going to get today is the first time that I've tried to put this together into a cohesive unit, which means it may not be cohesive. <laughs> so I invite feedback at the end, please. If there's something, one, if you see a way of these connecting that would be more um, fulfilling or under, you know, understandable, please, I would just welcome that. If there's a part that you go, that sounded great and I don't have a clue, that was really confusing, I, I welcome that. Um, you're kind of my guinea pigs. So I thank you in advance for that. But I also hope that we can have fun thinking about the ways that we're formed as humans, the ways that we form our, our soul, um, but then also how we learn. So here's how we're going to do this today. We're going to start really big picture. I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of a philosophy of discipleship, which I'm sure you have. We're going to just kind of remind ourselves of it. Then we're going to move a little bit into this idea of formation and transformation. How do we change? What does that look like? What is necessary for change to occur? That is my sticking point right now, working with, with youth. You can give them all sorts of great knowledge, can't you? And, and it doesn't necessarily change anything. And we are in a culture that I think is acknowledging that difference. We're all reading Jamie K. Smith, and we often say we're not brains on sticks. And yet we walk away, and we still are primarily informative with our students rather than formative. Because we can't help it. That's how we were formed, right? So those are the kind of things I'm wrestling with. There's a lot to learn, and I really am excited to be with you all because I can't wait to learn from you too as we go through this process. And then after the break, we're going to come back, and we're going to get down to the nitty-gritty of a good way of teaching with your students that will help them in this formation process. So a little bit big picture, but we will narrow, and particularly after the break, we'll get into some nitty-gritty, and I think that will be really, really practical for you with that. Any questions before we begin? Comments? All right, let's move on. So here's what I'm thinking. How do we help our students become like Christ? And today I want to look at discipleship and formation and transformation. And then teaching. And how does that facilitate our transformation into Christ-likeness? So we've all been formed. How do we help transform? And our verse will be 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled faces... Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed in his image from one degree of glory to another. And I think Paul meant that. We now have these unveiled faces because of Christ, and we can look at the glory of the Lord, and by doing that, that changes us. And that's a primary principle of spiritual formation. Time with Jesus changes you. Right? And so we're going to be playing with that idea today. So our essential question for today is, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? So if you're taking notes, um, I would start a column, and I would write this question at the top, and take a stab at it. Just take 30 seconds to take a stab at it. By the way, a good essential question does not have one answer, nor does it have an easy answer. It's the kind of question we could sit and ponder 
for a semester, a year, a lifetime. So be gentle with yourself as you're thinking of your answer. There's not one right one. And when you're ready, turn to your neighbor. Tell them your thoughts. Listen to theirs. You've got about 60 seconds. Feel free to add their ideas to yours. This is, this is collaborative learning, right? We're going to learn from each other. So uh, what about this table? What was something you guys heard at this table that you felt was helpful?
When you're ready, tell your neighbor. on the spot. Which one? Yeah, just, I mean, we said that, you know, obviously there's some information that can be passed from left to right. I said ideally that's desired from the party of the right. Um, there could be an age difference between the two. Um, and then uh, Erica said that ideally the person on the left has been the person on the right as well. Yes, great observations. Uh, back row over here, gentlemen. Any observations back there? Um, we talked about how it seems like it's, it's all one way. Um, you know, rabbi and cycle, it's usually not the other way. The transfer of information. Yeah, there's definitely, a, I'm going to say expert, I'll be careful about that because that would imply that you've arrived. But there is this seems to be the wise one, if you will, or somebody who gets to pass that information. You guys are saying some good stuff. Anything you want to share? Um, I was at first saying, are they interchangeable? But it seems like rabbi is like a spiritual, um, maybe a mentor is like a, like a personal, emotional, like, hey, that I've walked through this life with you. And then a teacher and student feels like an educational exchange of information. Information. Great observations of the differences. That group back there, anything else you want to add? Well, I'll see what Ben says. Perfect. 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 Great thoughts, great thoughts. Um, some of you in this room know way more about this than I even do. But you could use them interchangeably. And here's why. Um, in some ways, the mentor-apprentice, it could have been a tutor-apprentice. That would have been from the ancient Greek system. And it was absolutely this idea that you would come under your tutor, and you would do life with them. And they would teach you what it meant to be human, quite frankly. And of course there's knowledge with that. But there was also this virtue that would be developed. This how do you become a good person was what they were always asking about. Virtue. 
The rabbi-disciple model is actually the same, <laughs> right? You would join a rabbi, and you would take his yoke upon you, and that means that you're doing life with him, and you're going to become like him. You're going to take on his teachings, and of course you're going to become like him. This is why Jesus' teachings are so beautiful, and he says, come on, my yoke is easy. <laughs> Let's do life together. You know what I mean? We got this. I'm here to give you that easy life. And we have lost this in our modern education system, but honestly, it's true there. If you think about this just from a practical standpoint, students are spending more time with their teachers than they do with their families. Right? So they are catching that. You just can't help it. You become like who you are with, and you certainly become like who you admire. Right? And so we have this going on. And so I just want I want to give you a little bit of a fuller idea of what you're doing. So you you are ministers to your students, but you're, you're more. You're more. And then, of course, I love what Christian said. Well, let me give you one point. There's this beautiful verse in Luke. Right? And he says, the disciples not above their teacher, but when they are fully trained, they will be like their teacher. And in many ways, that summarizes all of those relationships. Even a teacher and student. Right? I have an amazing school and I have an amazing calculus teacher and he wants desperately for his students to be able to do the work that he has trained them to do on their own. He wants them to become like him. Right? So we see this fullness. And so that's heavy. You are not alone in this. You are equipped for this. So I, I mean, I want you to hold the weight of that, but there is no um, despair in this. There's no despair in this. You've actually been called for this and, and the Lord is with you in it. But, it, but your students are becoming like you. Okay. So you are also disciples. And you have disciples. And your purpose is to say to them, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's why Paul said that. He didn't think he was hot stuff. He just knew he, was a, he, knew he understood these relationships. <laughs> Jesus is my teacher. I'm learning all the time what's how to be like him. You're going to be under me. I'm going to teach you to do that. And then ultimately, we are all transferring our students to teacher Jesus. Okay, so, he, and he is ultimately even now discipling your students while you are. You are partnering with him in that. He's doing the work, right? You're, you're his co-laborer with that. So let's look at discipleship and the Great Commission. So go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, the end of the age. You know, Jesus' ministry, I think it's Matthew that says, you know, he was proclaiming and declaring and teaching. And he then says to the disciples, you go proclaim and declare. It's not until the Great Commission that he lets them teach, because they had to be disciples for three years. Right? So I bring this up for a couple reasons. One, you have to be a disciple of Jesus. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Okay? But you're making disciples. And I think a great definition of discipleship is teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And it's one of many, but you write this idea of how do we actually obey Jesus. The reason I was drawn to the people that I'm learning from now, which was Dallas Willard and his people, is I, I love that they took seriously Jesus' commands. Like, no, he actually does think you can turn the other cheek. He's not just being cute or kind of stuff. Like, no, he actually wants you to be the kind of person who can be injured, and your response is one of love, because that's how God responds to people that injured him. And he wants to change you to do that, right? And they take this seriously. And they're realistic. They don't say, like, I have to go. I mean, right? There's, but they, they actually, we're supposed to obey what he's commanded us. All right. So, 
been introduced to the concept of a silent debate. And here's the problem. I didn't have a copy here. So it's not going to do as well as it should, so I'm going to explain what it is. Okay? But here's our question. Can you be a Christian and not a disciple? Can you be a Christian and not a disciple? And if I had my act together, which I do not, I would have given you a piece of paper like this, and it would have had four columns in it, and I would have put you into groups of four, and we would take about two minutes for each block, and the first block you would write your opinion and explain your rationale. Yes, you can be a Christian, obviously, because blah, 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 or no, I don't think you can, and here's why. And then I would say, all right, it's time, and you would pass it to the person next to you, and they would fill out block two of your paper. And they would support your argument, even if they don't agree. Oh, I didn't know what I was thinking, though. I have to think about this. And then I would say time, and you would turn your paper again. And the third block, you would have to disagree. And then we would do time again, and you would get the last paper. It would have three of your, I'm going to say classmates, opinions on it. And you're going to now kind of summarize. Huh, that was a thoughtful discussion. That was a thoughtful discussion. Okay? This is in your, the electronic, what do we call it? The digital notebook, just so you know that. And I'm happy to reach out, you know, reach out and I can get you this stuff. This is really valuable um, for so many reasons. One, you could have them each put their name at the top in a different color, and you collect those babies, and you start to see what's going on in hearts and minds. It's really fun. Um, this is in some ways an intellectual intellectual comment. I would argue that if you were to do this with your students, you, their hearts would leak out. You would see doubts and fears and all sorts of stuff in that. But you could do something like this with a very controversial topic or a very relevant topic in the culture. I think it's okay to drink alcohol occasionally as long as you don't get drunk and drive. I mean, whoa! They will be honest writing things that they might not be talking. I've even done this where I collect them and then I go in and add my two cents and put them back. Great thoughts. Have you thought about this? Throw it back in and let them go. It's also neat because they have to think before they talk, which is a lost art, I say from experience, <laughs> myself. So you've got a few minutes to look at this. Go ahead and share your thoughts with your neighbor. Can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? I'm going to give you a 60 seconds. You can debate it if you want.
You can totally be a Christian and not be a disciple. No, uh-uh. Okay, thumbs up. Yes, you can be a Christian, not a disciple. No, you cannot be a Christian and not be a disciple. Give me your vote. Let's go, people. Oh, my goodness, I'm so confused. I need more time. This is you guys. Excellent. How many of you have more questions than when we started? Maybe? Okay. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. Um, one of the things when we're teaching we have to be really careful about is we really like surety. We, want, we like this idea that we could give someone the exact answer and make them repeat it back to us, and then we would know they would walk out. And we'll talk about this, but that's actually a huge mistake. That is not how Jesus taught. And that is not how God is mystery in many ways. He reveals himself to us, thank God. But there is, we have to let our kids sit with the mystery. When we give them the answers and act like there's this cut and dried stuff, we are not doing them any favors. In fact, we're making them go, oh, well, that's okay, I can dismiss that. I don't agree with that. And we've just taken away the character and the relationship of God. So be okay with that. All right, so I want to do a little exercise with you that I hope is an encouragement to you, but it's also going to be the formation for you to think about things with your students. This is taken from a lovely little article that you have that you don't need to read right now, but I encourage you to read at some point for your encouragement. It's by Henry Nowen. And I have just recently gotten to read a lot of Henry Nowen, and he's one of those people that I always... I've heard great things about, but honestly, I thought he just might be too nice for me. Um, you know, I mean, I just was like, well, I, I don't know if I want to read his stuff. Oh, my goodness, the man is brilliant. And almost everything that I read, I'll read like seven books on something, and then I'll come across Henry Nowen, and he will summarize it in three sentences profoundly and beautifully. So we had a lovely little article given to us called From Solitude to Community to Mission. And it has become, in some ways, a taken form in my life in many ways, and I find it to be a helpful model to present. And so I'm going to go through this article in some ways quickly, but please go back and look at it. But we're going to use this passage from Luke 6, 12 through 19. And now it says that there's this wonderful little passage that explains how we become disciples and the disciplines, right? Disciple and discipline are similar, right? And so what does this look like? So we've got Luke 6, 12 through 19. In these days, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James, and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew. And Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowds sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. So now it goes on to say this beautiful passage gives us these disciplines of solitude, community, and ministry. Solitude and community, and I've got mission on there, but ministry would be fair too. And he says, so most of us do things wrong. We start with ministry or mission. I've got this great idea for God. I'm going to help him out. I'm going to go do this for him. Does anybody want to join? Oh, this isn't working so well. Who can help me with this? I need volunteers. If I had more volunteers, we could probably make this work. That doesn't work. And we finally end up in the middle of collapse going, Lord, what's happening? He says, can we just reverse that from the very beginning? You need to start in solitude. Jesus did. He spent all night with his father. And here's what Henry says he's doing. He's hearing his father say, you are beloved, and you I am well pleased. And he says, as Christians, we have to start 
with that foundation of the Lord speaking over us that we are beloved, that we are delighted in, simply because we're his. This is going to be relevant later when we talk about changing our students. Okay? He says, and then this interesting thing happens. When that happens, I can now move into community. Because when I know I'm beloved, well, I know you're beloved. And then Henry says this great thing. I can forgive you for not being God to me. I don't need my needs that by you. They're being that by my father. And you don't need your needs but by me because I'm being And guess what? I don't need to compete with you anymore. <laughs> when you do something really, really well, I say, oh, wow, that's your beloved. And that's okay because I'm beloved. And you're going to use me somehow. I don't know, right? I mean, it's just, it's just this wholeness. And then he says, you start to do that as a community. And you start to heal the world. Power comes out from that kind of a community that heals the world. Read the article. It's rich. It's better than what I'm giving you right now. But I want to give you that as a little bit of a summary. And I'm going to ask you to do a little quick draw exercise. And if you're on your computers, that might be hard. So that's fine. You can just imagine. You're welcome to come to the board. Could you come up with some kind of graphic organizer for this? Like, what would this look like if you were going to try to illustrate this idea? You start in solitude, and then you move into community, and then you go out to ministry. Take 60 seconds. Just play with it. See what you can come up with. See if somebody at your table comes up with something amazing. Say, very well, maybe. And you can celebrate that. Honestly, with your students, stick, give them, stick them up. Here's what's fun about this. You need to start creating a space with your students where it's okay to, to be listening with this kind of stuff. Some of you, this is the most stressful thing I've actually to do all day, and I, I get it. That's fine. Acknowledge that. Um, some of you have come up with some really cool things. Let me show you what Henry came up with. <coughs> he says that it is like, hello, do it one more time, a wagon wheel. And he says, here's the deal. Most of us are running around with the rims of the wagon wheel frantic. Like, trying to keep up with it. And he says, and then sometimes we're, like, looking into community, going, can someone help me, right? And then finally, we have the last resort, we go to the Lord. And he says, no, 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 you dwell in the center. You dwell in the center. 
And then you move out into the spokes of community, and then those move out into ministry. And it is not your doing, it is the Lord's doing, and it is, a, is the overflow of your abiding in Christ. That's what Jesus is teaching in John 15. I have found this so helpful, not only for my own personal discipleship, but for my students. You know, the ministry question can feel really big. The community can even feel tricky. But solitude, well, I have a little more control over that. <laughs> I, if nothing else, I can go back to my, to my Jesus and sit with him and trust that he will work. We were doing that this morning. I was nervous to be with you all. And I was sitting there going, you know what? I'm beloved. And these people are beloved. Well, let's go see what we can do together. And there's a freedom in that. Hold on to that. I think this is really valuable for your own soul care. But your students need this too. Your students need this too. So let's now shift a little bit of gears and think about transformation. Of course, the Holy Spirit. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. I know you know that. If you are working harder than the Holy Spirit, something's not right. You go back to solitude, people. And I'm preaching to myself, right? Here's something else we're finding is really important. I'm going to call it narrative therapy. And what I mean by this is not necessarily everybody has to go to counseling. What I'm saying here is that there are narratives that we have formed about ourselves and about God that are not necessarily true. talk about that a little bit more. Here's the next thing. A cycle of joy and rest. You are fueled. Your brain, your body is actually fueled on joy and rest. There's a guy named Dr. Alan Shore who's doing a lot of research on this. And I just, we'll talk about this a little bit more. Specifically, the joy that he's talking about here is the joy of being delighted in. Huh, we talked about that today? So he literally will talk about a healthy attachment point when a baby is delighted in his parents. He soaks up all that stimuli, and then what does the baby do? Sleeps. And rests. And we need both of those. And I don't know about your all students, I suspect there are a lot of ones I work with, they have very little of either of those. And here's the thing, we will find joy in all sorts of substitutes. This is why our kids are self-medicating. This is why the allure of that we think like it must be out there somewhere if I could just, if I could just, right? The, the, the scarcity that our students live in is because they're just dying for that joy of being delighted in, right? And then the rest, you can't rest. If you rest, you won't be what you're supposed to be and you have all these expectations. And I mean, and, and we're as parents not modeling anything other because we haven't necessarily learned how to live anything other. Be careful what you say to your students. You know, oh, I'm really busy. I'm, you know, I mean, I just be careful of the language we use. Are you living out of abundance? Or are you living out of scarcity? And just be aware of that, because you are reflecting a little bit of, like, what kind of life in the kingdom looks like. And is it, is it full, or is it hurried and scared and all those things? And if you feel that way, there is no shame in that. But that is an indicator you need to go back to your, the hub of the wheel. Because, I mean, like, just know that about yourself. It's like a fever. You don't sit there and go, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I have a fever. No, you have a fever. Has not, you didn't do anything wrong to get the fever. But boy, please pay attention to that. And like, don't, do not burn out. 
And, and do not worse lash out, right? Because you're done, you're burned out. Again, preaching part. And then embodied practices within community. Um, we are embodied people. We know this and we still sit up here in our brains. But embodied practices within community. We're finding that a couple different things. The number one indicator of mental health is the ability to quiet oneself. Our students have very little practice doing that. But guess what? They come to your youth group. Guess what you can make them do? Sit in silence and solitude. I'm going to advocate for that in a little bit. And you may think I'm crazy, but I, I highly advocate for that. Solitude is not loneliness. And they need to sit in it to realize that. Okay? The second thing is once students have maybe tasted joy and started to embark on some practices, the ones that stick are ones in community. So this is where, um, Josh, just an example. I have a daughter who is, is walking faithfully with the Lord, but pretty much she's the only one in her community. And she, we're just really hyper aware of that. Like that is probably not going to last. I mean, I mean, like we're trying to, you know, we're, we're, there's lots of things, but like realistically community is what helps things to, to stick. And so notice that about your students. Who are the isolated ones? Who are the ones who have community? What could you do to start to build some communities? It only has to be two or three other people that are like in it together, right? And that starts to happen. So let's kind of process these a little bit more. So let's talk about transforming narratives and beliefs. So first of all, everyone gets a formation. Um, and, and there's great books out there about this, Jamie K. Smith, um, right? People are thinking well about this. We are formed constantly. And I think there's a lot to be said that transformation requires the renewing of your mind, Romans 12, 22. So we need embodied practices to help cement this renewing of our mind, but we live out of our ideas. Okay? In fact, our narratives are running and ruining our lives. I want to put this out here for you because I want you to start to really listen to your students and the narratives they're living out of. Dallas Willard argues that Christian spiritual formation is the process of progressively replacing your ideas and images, mind you, images, with those of Jesus. So there's a lot of practice um, in Dallas Willard's people of, like, you never think of that thought about God. And you, you actually understand what your false narratives are, and you speak true ones. So... Um, one that has been given to me that is just beautiful is I am one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And I mentor several young women and I will every once in a while look across the table for them and say, you are one in whom Christ dwells and delights. And the response immediately is tears. Because we don't live that way. <laughs> we feel alone. And we don't necessarily feel delighted in, but that's true. Like you, that's true of you true of your students. The other one is I have everything I need. I don't have to live out of scarcity. I was driving home with an almost flat tire last night and I was like, I have everything I need. I don't have to be in fear. And it was true. And I mean, you know, like, I mean, yes, bad stuff is what happened, but you're safe in the kingdom. A.W. Tozer says a great quote, the most important thing about a person is what comes into their minds when they think about God. 
because they're going to live out of that narrative. And as you and you know this, you know this. As you talk with your students and start to get into their hearts, you start to see these narratives. Oh, you see God this way. What if I told you God was this way? What if I showed you God was this way? So, stand up when you're ready with your notes. Scoot your little chair in. And what we're going to need here is two lines of people facing each other so that you have someone to talk to. Does that kind of make sense? So let's just go behind all the tables. Two lines, one facing each other. So a line facing the place we ate last night and then a line facing me, the front. Find a partner across from you. Excellent. Good job. Good job. which one it is. Well, actually, um, actually, let's do it this way. If you are facing me, you are going to name one or more false narratives that you know your kids are living out of. Okay? And if you are facing away from me, you are going to replace that narrative with the truth about who God is. Or the or where
Do you hear anything new? <laughs> I don't think how much I've heard that it's the same. Uh-huh, I bet. I bet. Afterwards, I'd love to hear some of your narratives if you want to share them with me because I'm super curious what's going on. So let's, we've got about 15 minutes. We're going to move through this. Okay. So how does transformation work? So real, we're finding that real change occurs out of a cycle of joy and rest, which we've talked about. Particularly that we are delighted in and beloved. And by the way, fear or stress hinders focus and growth. Oh, have we just described our students? <laughs> a little joy, a little rest, high stress, and fear. I'm putting this up there because a lot of the narratives that you named, I suspect, and I, I did get to walk around and hear some of them, would fit this, these categories, if I'm correct. Am I loved? How do I rest? I can't rest. I'm scared. I'm stressed. So I just want to put before you, the more you can name those narratives for these students, Help them name them. And then name them the truth of the good and beautiful God they serve. Jesus lived this life that was safe in the kingdom of heaven, and he had more stress than we had. So interesting for the year, the life. <laughs> okay. Here's another thing that I'm finding fascinating. We change when we hear from God ourselves. And you know this. You know this. The reason you have not walked away from your faith is because you have a relationship with the Lord and you have heard from him. And it happens in different ways. I used to think the only way it happened was through in-depth Bible study. Which is a really discouraging way to live because it's hard to convince a lot of people to do in-depth Bible study with you. It does. I mean, it is one way to hear from the Lord, right? But I mean, not every like, I do an hour of homework and I don't know, you know. But I'm like, you'll hear from God. Something that I'm going to encourage you to look up is a woman named Jan Johnson. She's written 25 books. She was Dallas Willard's buddy. Um, she is teaching me um, listening practices and meditating on scripture practices. And you guys, every time I hear from the Lord. And if that creeps you out, so be it. But the reality of it is we have a God who is constantly revealing himself to his people and reconciling. And he did not stop doing that. And he does it primarily through his word. And when you make space for your students and teach them how to listen for the voice of the Lord and meditate on scripture, that changes them more than anything else. And probably because what they're going to hear is, oh, I'm delighted in and I'm safe. <laughs> it's just this beautiful, I mean, it all goes back to that. Jan just said for years, I tried to figure out how people changed. How do people change? How do people change? And she said they, they change by hearing from God themselves. I would encourage you to figure out ways to help your students listen to the Lord together and not come together to listen to you or talk about God. Okay, and I, if you, I would you can t- geek out about this later because there's great resources out there, but that is my challenge to you. April? Yes? Can you say that one more time? Oh no, which one? The, when your students gather together, they don't. I would encourage you to gather your students together and teach them how to hear from God together rather than talk about God or, or hear from you. And my friend back home, Lane Cowan, helped me name that. I'm starting to be in a community that listens to God together, and it's transformative. And I'm in a community also that doesn't quite know how to do that yet. <laughs> and I'm, I'm holding that tension of, like, what does this look like? She said, you want to be in a community that listens to God together instead of just talking about God. And I don't know about y'all, I'm, and Ben and Ben, you know, I mean... I can, I'm in a small group, and we get together, and we literally read the notes from the sermon. 
And it's a good sermon, don't get me wrong. It's really different than gathering together and doing Alexio Divinia practice or Ignatian prayer practice or... I mean, it just is. There's no, and there's nothing wrong with that, but I, I want to share with you some things that can give you a better vision for that. Okay? Here's another thing. <laughs> this is really interesting. You can process narrative therapy within a safe community with others hearing from God. Okay, so let me, and I'll, I'll, we can geek out about this later. I don't have a lot of time, but there's something vulnerable about listening to God together, but it's also incredibly safe. I don't leave it with a vulnerability hangover because I haven't shared something intimate that is, like, scary. I've actually, we've just been together in God's presence. And that's really hard for teenagers to know how to do. They so deeply want to be known, and then they overshare sometimes. Or don't share at all, right? You've got this, like, tension. Yeah. If, if I may, yeah. talk about what you mean by safe Yeah. So there's a lot of research out there, and there's a book um, by some authors called Brown and Strawn. And I... I would love for you guys to solve this problem. If we could get communities of small groups that were safe, meaning that we trusted the people in them, and it allowed us to be vulnerable in an appropriate way, there's research out there that is showing it can actually undo unhealthy attachment. So as a child, you form an attachment, and it often we have unhealthy attachments because of trauma and just, right, just brokenness. Best parents can do it to their kids, right? And there's a lot of research out there that if you can get into a community that can love each other, and especially if you can say, I'm beloved and you're beloved, so you don't have to be God and I don't have to be God, and it starts to be this place that you can be in the presence of the Lord together, there, there actually is transformative change that can happen and heal attachment issues, which is fascinating to me. There's more. I know there's a lot. I'm sorry. I'm te- in some ways, I'm teasing you with some information, but I hope it'll like, get you guys thinking. I say that to say, think carefully about your small groups with your students. If you ever want to just brainstorm on this, call me up and let's brainstorm. I don't know the answers, but I think to figure out, I mean, I think there would be some wisdom in saying, what does it look like to take kids who are, like, committed? What does it look like to let them have some sort of group? Maybe on a different time than when you meet with everyone else, but something to let fuel that, because it can be really beautiful and healthy. And interestingly enough, you might start to have other kids want to become a part of it. Because sometimes what we've done is we put all our kids together, and we've got kids that are committed, we've got kids that are not, whatever, and, and there's nothing wrong with that at times. But it isn't always safe. I don't have the answer, but it's interesting to think about and play with. Okay, so um, the undue healthy attachment. And then these embodied practices. Knowledge alone won't save us. I live in an amazing place. I'm so grateful for Charlottesville, Virginia, and Trinity. Um, we, I grew up in an anti-intellectual tradition, so when my husband, when we moved there for my husband to do his PhD, everybody was like, we hope you don't lose your faith. You're going to the secular university. And I was like, I hope we don't either. And then we came into Trinity and we're like, hello, okay, here's look at all these people thinking well. I mean, it was beautiful. So grateful for it. And knowledge alone won't save us. There's got to be embodied practices with this. And the thing is, y'all, we feel really smart when we, you know, can say the right thing or the right phrase or and it can keep us from living this and being embodied. So when you practice abiding in Christ together and then obedience through spiritual disciplines, particularly in community, it's like that's where it's right for things to happen. Of course this makes sense with adults. It makes a lot of sense with students too. I don't know how to happen, but this is what you you guys are put on this earth to do in some ways. Play with this. Play with it. (laughs) Take this this and just play with it. See what you can ask the Lord. How How can we bring this? 
So here's some helpful resources. Um, I have cracked dyslexia divinia before. I, I, I'll just be honest with you, and I hope this is um, much rich. I, I didn't practice it with an expectation to hear from the Lord. I, yeah. Some people may not know what dyslexia divinia is. Thank you, Ben. That's why you're here. Lexia divinia is a way of meditating on scripture. It was well established in the church by the 4th century. And what you do is you um, go through certain segments where you read this, the passage for someone. And we can, if we have time, we'll do one. Um, you read the passage for someone, and then you let them sit with it. And you, you, you ask the Spirit to be present. And you also set up this expectation that the Lord has a, a word for the people there. That scripture is dynamic. Um, and it's safe because he speaks through his word. We're not like all, I mean, we're not like asking the trees. You know, I mean, like, because we get scared with this stuff. I get it. Right? But we're not like, go talk to the trees and see what they say. Like, we're not doing that. We're literally grounding them in God's word. And we're having them sit in the practice. But we, we do set up this expectation for them to hear from the Lord. This is new to me, you guys. I'm going to be honest with you. But I'm with people that do this. And every time I have participated, he shows up and speaks. And you ask questions, and you, you know, and you, and you give them something to write with, and you always respond in prayer, and you respond in worship. And again, I would love to say more. Um, I'm meeting with people that do this regularly, and you know, I'll say, does Jesus always show up? And they say, April, Jesus is here. <laughs> I've been doing this for 12 years, and yeah, he wants to speak to his people. I'm going out on a limb here and, and presenting this to you because I think this is what our kids are missing. Um, I, again, I, I was a chaplain at the school that I was at, and we would bring in the most brilliant speakers. My kids would be like, meh. But then we'd bring in someone who'd share their testimony, and they were like, is this real? I think they're all asking, is this real? And when you meet God, you know it's real. <laughs> you're like, oh, you're real. Whoa. And you guys, it's amazing. I mean, Jan Johnson is a wonderful guide in this. She'll say, like, you ask God questions. My, the, the times I hear the most from God is when I go, yeah, I don't like that. And he'll be like, of course you don't. And I'm like, okay, all right. Um, or I'll start into a passage listening and I'll expect it's going to be this and then boom wait why that you know rest I went back to the school I'm not teaching there um, but I have a friend a colleague there who's letting me use his class as a lab and I did Lexia with these kids and they later said I heard, I heard from God and when they shared what it was I mean it was script is, it was beautiful it was founded in scripture and it was they heard it was theirs it was their treasure they were treasuring God's word in their heart if you're weirded out by that it's okay but I, I do want to put that out there also Ignatian prayer um, Loyola, of, Loyola of Ignatius came up with this practice and it's imaginative prayer where you sit in a passage and you ask the Holy Spirit to put you in the passage it is one of the best forms of educating students in scripture I think I've ever come up with. And I got to teach the middle schoolers when Ben was out of town. And we did an Ignatian prayer activity. So we did Jesus walking on the water after Peter. Well, Peter walked on the water after Jesus. So we acted it out. So in Ignatian prayer, you need to observe all the details, all your senses. So I had my middle schoolers, crazy middle schoolers, acting it out. And here's how they had Jesus walking on the water. And I was like, what, he's on a hoverboard? It's stormy. And so what do they do? Oh! You know, and they like are starting to like, and then the disciples are all like, and I was like, it's, you're scared. You're scared. Oh! Right? I mean, we're starting, like, and we walked through the passage. I would read it, and I'd be like, hold, whoa, stop. No. No, no, no. And we would just, do you feel the salt spray on your hand? You know, do you, like, we're going on all this stuff. And then we did an Ignatian practice. I silenced them. They were silent. I gave them paper to write with. 
And then I just said, I just want you now to close your eyes and listen to the story again, and let's ask the Lord to put you in it. Just feel it. Just sit in it. And they all sat there, you know, going, are you really making me do this? And here was the point of it. At the end, I said to them, when Peter started drowning, and Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith, by the way, that is not a pejorative term. That was his nickname for his disciples, his little faiths. He'd walk around going, your little faith, come here. We're going to do this again. You know, when he, so, you know, he goes, oh, you little faith, and he grabs them. I said to the kids, what is the look on Jesus' face? And I had a student, and I, you guys, when you do these practices with your kids, you don't necessarily get to see what's going on in their heart. Now, if you have them journal and turn things in, you can, and I would encourage that. But by God's goodness, this little kid, who was truly, like, crazy, I mean, so fun, but I was, like, constantly ringing it, ringing it, right? Left his post-it note on his desk, and he said, I suspect Jesus was so proud of Peter for believing in him enough to step out of the boat. Okay, I'm crying. Because you know what? If that seventh grader starts to see Jesus accurately, we see Jesus like, you idiot. Why? Because that's how we respond to people that have, like, you know, oh, great, now I pull you out of the water. That's not how Jesus is. And so I just, I want to just encourage you to get out there and try some of these embodied practices with your students. It is safe. I think the Lord, you will find, is meeting your kids in beautiful ways that you have no control over. And a wonderful, this is Meeting God in Scripture. This is Jan Johnson's newest. It literally teaches you what Lexio Divinia is, and it teaches you what Ignatian Prayer is, and then she has done the work for you. So you can sit there and lead one of these just by like going through this. The first one is 1 Corinthians 13. You do a Lexio on it, and you sit with it for a while. And then she says, so some of you are thinking, I wish I could be more patient. I'm so not long-suffering. And then she said, yeah, but this isn't about you. It's about God. So we're going to do this again, and we're going to change love to God. And you go through love through again, and now you say, God is patient. God is kind. And next thing you know, we're all crying, because we're now realizing it's correcting our false narratives, right? And the Lord's doing it. So if you're at all intrigued, I, I want to... I'm a seven on the Enneagram, so I'm always like, come on. But I mean, I do feel part of my point, right, my calling right now is to just say, like, just try. Try this stuff, because if, if you guys, if the Lord meets your kids, it doesn't matter how great their doctrine is. Right? I mean, we just, we've got to make space for them to do that, so I encourage you to do that. Another great resource. This is my current professor, James Brian Smith. Not to be confused with James K. Smith. Um, although they both work, I mean, they love each other, work together. But he's written a series called The Good and Beautiful Life, The Good and Beautiful God, and The Good and Beautiful Community. And so he um, worked with Dallas Willard for years. And if you've ever read The Divine Conspiracy, it's a fabulous book. The last chapter, Dallas basically says, we need a curriculum for Christ-likeness. Right? How do we invite people into this life of discipleship? Because we kind of don't know how to do it. We're all for it. But we're just kind of like, so what does this look like? I know we're supposed to obey, but like, really, what does that look like? So Jim has spent the, his career basically just playing with these ideas. And so these are just really practical. Um, you know, the, the practices, there's, there's actually practices to do. You go out for the week and you realize you struggle with, you think you run the world and you don't. God does. That's a narrative we need to correct. So you do little things like you take the longest line at the grocery store. Why? Because you're perfectly safe waiting in the longest line. You don't run the world, he does, right? Or you, know, you, just, or you take a nap. 
Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Why? Your body is the primary way that you interact in the world. It's true, you guys. And we don't give ourselves permission to do that. I had a kid fall asleep during Alexio practice. And when he woke up, you could just kind of see the, like, shame. And I just said, if you fell asleep, the Lord is delighting over you. You clearly need that sleep. Don't try to do anything else until your body is doing... I mean, that's, this is your primary action in the world, is your body. That's why it matters that we take care of it. Some of you all need to sleep. And sleep is a practice, because you go to sleep and you say to the Lord, you can run the world while I'm asleep. Which we would all say we believe until 3 a.m., right? When we're, like, up running the world. So, those are my thoughts. All right, we're going to wrap here for a break. I've gone over a little bit. Before we do, if, I know it's harder if you're on a computer. I would love for you to pick... Just take a pause for a second. Let this sink in. Take the three takeaways from you. Of like, oh, this is what I want to try to implement, or this was helpful, or even just, I've never heard that. Star them. And then rate them. If you had to say, like, number one, and this is, this is my takeaway, and then two and three. I'm going to give you just about two minutes to do that. Just kind of settle in, look over your nose, think through the things we've covered. rank them, you can just give them a one, two, and three after you start them, if that helps you. love to hear your takeaways. Um, this, that would honestly would help me and, uh, and then hopefully it'll help you guys to kind of hear what you're thinking about. Give me your number ones. Let's start over here. Second table. I haven't heard a lot from you over here. Thank you. 
acknowledge the power, right? I know you sort of dismiss it, and I think especially as we continue to address topics like sexuality that are crazy complicated and there is no answer, but the more that we do that, we're kind of doing it sometimes is the litmus test of that. It shouldn't be, but in their mind, I agree with that. And how can handle that? Right. Like we need to let them know how it happens. Your number one can also be something you're just kind of struggling with or wrestling with or want to process more with people and my God, I'm just kind of curious. Yeah. My number one was uh, how can we help our students here from the just talking with them. I think we'll try to wrap up um, the second session and then I'll, I'll try to do an ignition exercise with you guys so you can experience that and just kind of have them feel what that's like. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about what you said about the cycle of joy and rest. You know, my students, they, they can do so much, but I don't think they really do any of what they're doing. They're just going to do it because they feel like they have to or they feel like their students are working on them. Just trying to remind them that you know, there is joy in the things that they can do. If that means doing less, doing more than they can do more. Just, I like that. Yeah. This is definitely a three. The Lord delights over you. Take that path. That is a beautiful lesson to do with your students. Just to sit in that. Just to sit in that. Because that hits that, hit that cycle of joy in us. Right? Any questions? Clarification? You guys have been excellent. Excellent students. We've got a break. Let me pray for us. I'll send you out to get some coffee. We're going to be back here at 1045. Let's try to start on time because I'm hoping we can maybe do an Ignatian practice at the end which I think will be helpful for you to see. Um, when we come back, we're going to do something with the letters again. So if you would like to choose your letter and put it at your place, you are free to do so. Otherwise, you will be assigned a letter. So just be forewarned. There's only 40 of them, though. So, you know, you might be able to look out for that. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, I just struck at your goodness again. Thank you that you... Reveal yourself to us and that you reconcile us to you. Thank you that you've not left us alone. Um, I think sometimes in ministry we can feel like we're on our own. And it is just a lie. You are right here with us. And we have learned to live, we've been formed in this world in ways that just constantly tell us we are on our own. And so um, we do ask that you would give us practices and reminders that you are just here. Put people in our lives that speak that truth to us. Would you give us space to abide in you? Would you give us a deep desire to? Would you help us to know that you are the one working in this world and it is just not up to us. There is very little we can do. In fact, let's rephrase that. Apart from you, we can do nothing, you have told us. So we ask that you would make us people that see that as a gift and as freedom. And would you bring us into that solitude with you on a regular basis and give us space and help us to make space for that. Help us to reject this lie of, of scarcity that there's not enough time. That's just a lie. And give us the courage to lead our students in that. Thank you that you have given us ways to be in your presence.
In Jesus' name, amen. I want to clarify something um, in case anyone's uncomfortable. If you are a little unsettled with the idea of listening to God, I get it. I go. I, I want to validate that. Um, we're talking about a practice of meditating on Scripture, um, which, by the way, the Psalms do a whole lot of that old Selah in there, is this idea to pause and meditate on Scripture um, and to do that. And so... Um, I understand any hesitancies, and I'm going to let you all just wrestle with those as I go get on my plane this afternoon. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I would just encourage you to investigate. Your caution, your, any sort of like, eh, that's beautiful and valuable. Um, we are not saying, oh, let's have a new revelation from God. We are not. <laughs> we are absolutely saying he has revealed himself in his scripture, and that maybe that scripture is still dynamic, and that he uses it to speak to his people. Um, and so, um, it is a practice that the church has used. It's, it, this isn't some newfangled idea. Um, but again, I do, I mean, any sort of tension you feel with that, I validate that. Please do have those conversations. And I'm happy to have them too, outside of, you know, um, well, whenever, but we're not going to do it right now in class. But if that's a concern for you, I hear that. And please, that's okay. And honestly, go ask the Lord about it. And, you know, and, and just kind of see where he leads you with that, um, with that practice. Um, a valuable resource in that is a book called Shaped by the Word by Robert Mulholland. So I'd love, in fact, if any of you ever check that on read, I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. But Shaped by the Word by Robert Mulholland. But it is this idea of letting the Word shape us. Um, and you can go all sorts of places with just Word. Right? Jesus is the Word. So the dynamic Word of God was Jesus. It is Jesus and is the Word. Right? So we've got all that we can kind of play with with that. <coughs> Hey, thanks for this. Okay, this is helpful. Does this look familiar to anybody, if you can hear this? Who's <laughs> a terrible teacher? Are you talking about yourself or your students? <laughs> Self-righteous. Ooh. Not so apart, noise. Zero percent vulnerable. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> Am I the first person now to The most important thing um, about you is, is what you think about God and to not ever think an unkind thought about God. And I, I think I would also challenge us to not think an unkind thing about our students. That doesn't mean you can't be human and be frustrated. I don't, I don't mean it like that, but I like to just continue to hold their dignity as creating the image of God. And, and this is a safe place to vent that. I mean, I don't, I don't want to chastise anything, but just be aware of the narratives you might be telling yourself about your students. Um, and be prepared for them to be challenged with that. All right, so we're going to shift gears into teaching. Okay? So we're going to talk about how we learn. So first of all, we have to acquire things. We have um, skills and information that your students need. This is going to be a lot more with your teacher hat on. And this is obvious. There's certain things you have to know. You can't obey Jesus' word if you don't know what he said. Okay? What skills and information do your students need? How do they acquire them? But here's what has to happen next. So they have to acquire those skills and that information, and then they have to make meaning of it. Now, I'm not talking about relativism here. Like, they can just be like, well, I knew Jesus said that, but I think he means this. That's not what we mean. But we mean that they need to own this information for themselves. 
They have to organize it, manipulate it, or interact with it so that it means something to them. I don't know if this is true, but I hope at least one of the exercises we did kind of helped you own it a little bit, even just having to come up with a narrative or, I mean, whatever. That's what we're talking about. We could leave here and go to lunch, and I could sit down with any one of you and say, like, so can you be a Christian and on this cycle? We would actually have a meaningful conversation because you've taken some time to think about it. Or I could say, what's the false narrative you're hearing a lot of, right? And you, we would be able to have a really thoughtful conversation because I have given you space and time to make meaning of that. Does that kind of make sense? And then lastly, they have to transfer it. Can my students take the information they've learned, so they've acquired it, they've made some meaning of it, and can they transfer it to a new situation? I love this model of learning. It comes from something called understanding by design because it's like, how do we help our students be doers of the word and not only hearers? And the true task of this is going to be when you guys take this stuff back and you try it out and you transfer it. And I've already had great conversations where you are transferring it, right? You're acquiring some stuff and you're making meaning of it and you're already transferring it to your situations. And that's how we know if we understand something. So if you have successful AMT, you have understanding. Now, we're still talking cognitively in some ways. You can understand something and not change your habits. And in fact, I would argue that is true of most of us and it's true of your students, right? <coughs> Thoughts, questions? Thumbs up if that kind of makes sense. Thumbs down if you're like, eh, maybe a little more. Your role. Your job is to facilitate these things, acquisition, meaning, and transfer. Understanding happens to the individual. You can't give it to them. You can only orchestrate it. Okay, now these are two education professors that have studied education and theory, um, and this is what they've come to. I love this because don't we know that? <laughs> And not only that, it doesn't just happen to the individuals. I think what's so beautiful in this is we have a Holy Spirit that is revealing Jesus to these students, right? And he can make this understanding happen. But you know what? You can't. You can only facilitate it. This is a similarity to spiritual practices, which I've talked about a little bit with y'all. Spiritual practice or spiritual discipline is when you put yourself in the means of grace. You can't make stuff happen, but you can put yourself in these means of grace, so solitude with God, right? Meditating on scripture, community, whatever, and the Lord uses those to grow you. Um, in my circles, we say trying is dying. Okay, so you can try really hard, and this makes sense when we talk like a, a marathon. If I was to say, I'm going to go try really hard to run a marathon, and you're going to say to me, the first thing you're going to say to me is, are you training? No, I'm going to try really hard. But you don't understand, I'm going to try really hard. Like, I am so motivated to run this marathon. And you're just kind of going, it's kind of how we live our spiritual lives. I'm going to try really hard to be patient. So trying is dying. It will kill you. It will lead to guilt, which will then lead to shame, which will then lead to pretending and hypocrisy. And then you end up with passivity. And then your kids are like, well, I thought I checked the box and I think I'm going to heaven. But I can't seem to get this life here to work very well. 
And then the people in my program like say, training is reigning. R-E-I-G-N-I-N-G. Because you were created to reign, you will be reigning for all eternity. In fact, maybe this life is where you're supposed to start learning how to reign the way Jesus would. Um, and in fact, I would argue that we each have a kingdom. It's what we have our, our effective will over. What I say happens, happens. You guys are in it right now. You're, and you keep doing what I tell you to. It's amazing. I'm like, take a letter, right? I mean, you're in it. Um, but my, my job is to take my kingdom and align it with God's kingdom and to reign it as he would. And we practice that now because we're going to do for all, all eternity, right? So um, I digress. But those are kind of the things we're thinking about with these kind of things. So about Christian pedagogy. Now, pedagogy is just a fancy word that means the means of teaching or how you teach. And there's lots of theories on it out there. Um, I have a really neat colleague at our church who's just brilliant, and he thinks really well about these things, so he spent some time thinking about... We, we basically realize that we're, we're talking to our students and they're not listening. We're, we're talking to our adults and they're not listening, right? I mean, it's almost like if we can put more information on a slide and seem more smart, somehow we've, you know, connected. And we... Just not true. And so he's gone in and said, whoa, 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 we've got to shake this up. And so he's written um, a Christian pedagogy. So here's my question for you. What made Jesus such a good teacher? Talk to your neighbor about it for a second. What made Jesus such a good teacher? embody his teaching and this is the big one and then he entrusts them now he knows that they have help the Holy Spirit is there, right? but he literally is okay walking away not having answered their questions and leaving them with one I still don't know what to do with this I mean it's just, right? so now that you have those can you think of any specific examples in Scripture, particularly in the, in the Gospels, of how Jesus engaged, asked for embodiment, or entrusted his teaching? Which, again, just quickly share with people at your table specific examples that come up. Here some examples of engagement, which I've heard. He would use a hook to get their attention, a story. He, parables, right? Oh my goodness, the parables. Question or a riddle? Which son did the will of his father? Mystery. They ask him, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Stumper. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from man? A list. Who do people say that I am? A song. They would sing a hymn. 
a symbol. This is my body broken for you. A surprise to a lame man. He says, I tell you, your sins are forgiven. A rebuke. Unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. He's gotten their attention. He's gotten their intention. Embodiment. Often there is um, a command. Follow me. Come and see. Go and tell. Go and wash. Untie the donkey. Go and sell all that you have. He also embodies things by breaking bread with them and using that as a symbol, writing in the dust with his finger, taking children into his arms, touching lepers. Do you notice how many heals? It sometimes does happen just vicariously, but there's, there's often a touch involved or a being touched. And then he entrusts them. And I heard a great example of the rich young ruler, which is also an embodiment and a trust. I go and do this, and then he lets them go. We don't know the end of the story. I think we sometimes assume he never came back. We don't actually know that. But he lets them go, right? He entrusts this to them. The fact that he entrusted the Great Commission to his disciples, his apostles, just fascinating to sit there and just go. He literally expected, I mean, gave it to them, they did it. He calls you friends. Okay? So, as we think about that kind of teaching, what is our role in acquiring meaning and transfer. So you can provide direct instruction. And I would encourage you to do that through engagement, embodiment, and entrusting. Okay? That's where we're going to kind of have that framework over some of these specifics. So you can explicitly instruct and model. And you have to sometimes. Right? You have to. You have to give them information to do something with at times. But you can also facilitate. So you can guide them in actively processing something. And exploring complex problems so they can make meaning and understand important ideas and processes. Some of the things you've done today can really aid you in that. And the debate exercise, they have to take another person's point of view. You know, it's just you're kind of teaching them to think through something. And lastly, you could coach. You provide opportunities for them to transfer learning to increasingly complex situations. And you coach them in that. <laughs> the, the, the ultimate one is like living life the way Jesus said. I mean, that's, I think that's what's so fascinating about this. In many ways, you are that mentor and that coach and that teacher who is along them teaching them how to do life with Jesus. And you're going, okay, so we've learned this about God, and we've learned this about Jesus, and this is what Jesus says. What does he mean with what he says? Oh, I don't actually have to cut off my right hand? Okay, that's a relief. So now what do we do with that, right? Can you apply your understanding to a new situation, right? And you just, you're constantly moving with this. Yes? Uh, yeah, I just had a, a question with um, kind of developmental meaning where uh, our different students are, are at. Um, like, how do we still incorporate all of those those principles, um, like where they are developmentally? Because um, I because I can see like fifth grader, you know, it you know we kind of tend to always just say like, okay, here's the explicit thing. direct instruction, yeah, and then we can kind of sometimes fall flat with the other two. Yeah. Do you who do you who in here teaches anyone younger than middle school? You teach children? Okay. Up and right. Okay. 
Yeah, there's wisdom in that. I would argue you can do all of this with any age. Um, and it's going to look very different. But, I mean, it starts as, you know, this is a C. What sound does a C make? Now, you make that sound to me. Okay, what sound, what words do we know? Oh, cat, good job. What other words could you make of this? Yes, couch. You know, I mean, you, so that's a very simplistic um, example of that. Yeah. Great question. So um, I'll just add here, this is the classical background. So Socrates compared the teacher to a midwife birthing an idea. Isn't that amazing? And, and so if you ever know anything about Socratic method, you just ask questions. Um, and by the way, so Socrates was before Jesus. Um, Jesus is the master teacher. All truth is God's truth. You know, and I, I mean, Jesus shows up in a culture that is used to being taught by asking questions and, and just sitting with these things. And he takes it and just, wow, right? Because he's amazing. Because he's God. Um, but it's a familiar thing. But that birth of, Here's another cool thing. We can just geek out of this for a moment. Um, you know, Jesus shows up and says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. That metanoia. It's literally get a new thought. You're thinking about this the wrong way. The kingdom is here. Socrates said, all learning begins with metanoia. You have to repent of what you think you know and get ready to learn what you have to know. I just, I just find this fascinating, this humility of openness to Jesus' teachings. I need to get a new thought. Right, and then to kind of move with that. All right, that was my little geek part. Okay, so how do we do this? Well, here is something that, again, you're going to go, yeah, that makes so much sense. You work backwards in your planning. We don't do this. I think we think chronologically, so we're like, well, I need to open with this, and then I need to go here with this, and whatever. And we never ask this question of what is the big picture understanding? So what is your desired result? And, And, you know, you need to think about this with your philosophy of ministry, but then you can also think about this like literally my lesson for the day. What is my desired result? What understandings, knowledge, or skills do I want my students to leave with? So what is your desired result? My desire for you today is that you walk out of here with a deeper understanding of what it means to be a disciple how formation and transformation works in our lives and effective ways we can teach with that. And honestly, it took me a long time to get to that. I had to keep going back going, what are we doing? What are we doing? Is what I'm saying we're doing? What we're doing? I, you know, this is, this is an ongoing practice. Then you want to know what evidence will show that result. How will I know that you know this? Um, part of the way that I've been running this this whole workshop is I'm learning a lot about you and how you're thinking about it. So, you know, when you guys are talking, I'm walking around and I'm listening, right? And I've got this up here and there's all sorts of other things I could do to understand what's going on. But you guys are getting some really cool stuff. Like, I mean, you're making some great observations that I'm loving hearing, right? So what evidence will show that? Um, And you can have performances or products, you have to be careful with that language, but you know what I mean, that can reveal evidence of understanding. So how do so let's say you're going to teach on the love of God and your deep desires that they understand more fully God's right love for them and you're going to meditate on this you're going to use the passage from 1 Corinthians um, to study and all of those things well how are you going to know and there's not one right answer for that 
But do you realize that you need some sort of insight into them? I mean, whether that be a journaling, whether that be you make space for them, um, you know, to, to write a response, um, whether you ask them to write a prayer in response. I mean, you, you do need some. And you also need to be okay not having those things at times. You need to be comfortable with the Lord has kind of called me to do this and I'm going to put it before them and I might not know the results. That's okay too. I don't want to imply you can know everything. You can't. But can you ask them to do something that's going to show what you're asking them to, to know? And then what needs to happen for that evidence to be collected? So what activities, experiences, lessons, knowledge is needed to produce that evidence? And when you ask that question, well, you start to say, like, well, they're not going to be able to get there if I don't teach them what this term means, right? And, you, and that's where you go, so that's an, that they've got to acquire that. But then once they know that, how will I know if they can do anything with it? Well, what if I ask them to use it in this context? Um, this is really fun with teaching scripture because, um, you know, the Old Testament passages that the New Testament writers refer back to, it's just so powerful, right? So you're studying Jonah, and they're kind of wrestling with this, really in the belly of the whale for three days Uh, you know and then you're like well let's go see what else we can find and you take them to the passage of Jesus talking about it does that change your meaning of if you think it literally happened or not I mean you know you just I mean just play with them let them like Jesus tends to tell the truth And if you don't want to answer, believe that, that's fine too. But I mean, it is interesting he speaks about it. Like, let's do something with that. You know, there's, you can do a lot of fun with that with scripture. Um, so any questions on this before we move on? I know it's, when you hear it, you're like, that makes sense. But just, you've got to flip your way of doing it. You've got to start at the end and then work backwards. Yeah. So this could be a total detour, so just cancel it for this. Yeah. But like, to what extent is like, um, numbers in a room relevant yeah. for some of this. I mean, eight people, fifteen people, twenty-five people, fifties. I mean, like at some point, some of these things change it. And <laughs> you want to talk about that? Or just no, that's a great question. He's asking just numbers and space. It, yeah, it does. Um, so, are there optimum? I guess the better way to ask it is like for some of the things that like, you're recommending or saying. Do you feel like there's an optimum size dynamic? No. Okay. I do think, I mean, so there's some activities I would break people into fours. Um, it is harder with a bigger group, but I, I'm asking you to be involved still. You're adults, so it's different, solving in some ways. Um, I, I, here's what I would say. Yes, it's, that's huge. It's going to be different for the personality of your students, your literal physical space, you know, all those kind of things. Um, I would play with it, and I would just keep taking one thing and trying it, and just experiment. I mean, there's, you know, there's not going to be harm done, right? You're going to keep kind of just playing with this. Yeah. Can I ask something? Please. Yeah, something April's helped me understand is that you can, for a bigger group, you can always break it down into a smaller size, like you said, break up into four. So if there's something that works well with eight people, then break your 200 people up into tables with eight people at it, and then have a representative of each table and represent that to the body. Yeah. But you can always make it. That's a great question. And I would, if you ever want to dialogue about that outside of here, I'd be happy to brainstorm with you on that. Um, well, we'll get there in a second. That's great. So here's some principles, practical principles. This is from my experiences of teaching. You never work harder than your students. <laughs> is that good news? <laughs> Make them do the work. 
This is, you know why? Because whoever's doing the talking is likely the one doing the learning. There's exceptions to that. They need to hear things from you to do stuff. But like processing is really important. We do not give them space to do that. And then we sit up and we, at the de- by the time we're done on a Sunday, we're like, I am an expert on this passage. Why? Because you're the one who's done all the work prepping it. You're the one who's taught it. You're the one, whatever. And you're like, that was amazing. And, but you didn't ask your students in any of that. And Ben and I were talking, um, you know, let them arrive at your aha moments through your guidance. So Ben did a great lesson on uh, anxiety. We're doing a class right now on anxiety and depression. And just had really, really, really beautiful points. And we were processing afterwards. And it was just well received. My student, my, I have three students. I mean, they heard the, the understanding, what he wanted them to walk away with. It was clear. It was like just really, really great. But we said the one thing that could be better is that before he put up a slide of the people in our society that are distributing, you know, that are demonstrating great angst in our, our kids' lives, let them name them. You know what I mean? Before you put that slide up there. I mean, it's little, little things, but you want them to be part of this ownership. I said Billy Ellis, she should be up there. You know, or whatever. Just let them come to some of those conclusions. Don't do the work for them. Make them do the work. Okay, so covering content can be the enemy of understanding. It is not always, but it can be. Um, even today as I was coming in here, I was thinking, okay, I probably need to strip 20% of this, right? There's, we tend to want to cover too much. Um, and you need to know that about yourself, and you need to keep working at it. And you will <laughs> habitually break that commitment to yourself. But it is really important when we're asking somebody to understand something, they need to have appropriate amount of time to deal with it. Um, I'm covering way too much for anybody younger than you and with less experience, right? Like there's, I would, we could have, the first half we could have just sat with for an old another hour and a half and really let it sink in. So just know that. If you really have an essential understanding, an enduring understanding for your kids, for their ministry, when they leave your ministry, I hope they understand this. Like, just be prepared that you're going to revisit that and do all sorts of stuff with that for a long time. We, just this idea of we got to get through a chapter and we just, we have to realize that. In fact, I was talking with someone about um, quiet time. And in one of my classes, we are, we sit in a passage of 10 verses, give or take, for a semester. And it has just revitalized my quiet time. And we have a wonderful practice at our church. Of, um, we send out a lectionary of a reading, and I, I mean, I love it. I get the emails in the morning and like whatever, but it literally is a chapter a day, right? And there's value in that. We need both. We need the entirety of scripture, and we need that. But sitting in a passage for a semester, just wow, right? I mean, I, under, I understand it more. Like, I could talk about it in a heartbeat. If you want to talk about John 15 right now, we could have all sorts of combos. Um, and so it's kind of revitalized it. And the beautiful thing with that is, I mean, that's that under, that's the heart work. That's like bringing it into your heart. So don't be afraid of that. And then lastly, your students need the why of learning. And if you don't, ha- if you don't know it, you shouldn't be teaching it. I'm asking you to do this. Why? I'm not sure. <laughs> Seems like a really great activity. <laughs> I mean, you know, we just, if we're honest with ourselves, like, that's not a great question. So give them the why of learning. Okay, so there is something called total participation techniques. It's this little book. I highly recommend that somebody on your staff buy it for your ministry. They didn't get it here because they said it couldn't be returned. I was like, this is actually such a treasure. Um, this is what I've been doing with you all day. All day. Okay. So they require the students to engage with the lesson. Um, we ask them to practice or embody the lesson. 
And then ultimately we're going to trust the students with God's word and trust the Holy Spirit to bring about the obedience that leads to faith. Okay. Here's a chart to kind of help you understand what we're doing with TPTs. Um, if we have a chart here where at the top we've got higher order thinking. So this would be critical thinking where you have to wrestle with something and own it. And when we look at lower order thinking, like that's an A. I got that. Yeah, there you go. Okay. And then high participation and low participation. High participation, everybody's running around, going crazy, you know, youth ministry. Low, they're all sitting there dead, low participation. Okay? Um, you can have high participation in lower order thinking, and it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. And you can have higher order thinking and low participation, and even that not do you good. But if we get in this quadrant with higher order, high participation, that's where the money is, right? That's, that's cool. You won't get there every time. Don't, this isn't, I'm very, don't. You're to just start to think about, am I someone to really think? And to actually do something to get there, or am I doing the thinking for them and not letting them do anything? Or actually, the thing I'm asking them isn't enough. I need to develop some more higher order thinking critical levels. And this is in your electronic data. But here is the best thing. It's called the ripple. Okay? And basically, you never ever say, who can tell me? Have you noticed I haven't said that once today? I usually do say it once. I, today, I think I have not. You guys have volunteered. I didn't have to say it. It was great. You raised your hands. I didn't have to say it. Because guess what? When you say, who can tell me, what happens? <laughs> you got the same people who are willing to participate. And you have the others that are like, I'm checking it out. You never say that. Did it stress any of you out? You can just give me a little thumbs up that I was going to just possibly show up at front of your table and tell you to talk. stress to have with your students. I've asked all of you to do something. I've given you time to do it, and I'm going to call on you. And that's okay. Or ask you to do this. Or whatever. Like, you really do have to be present. You have to be present. Um, I think these are really, really important for a couple reasons. Your time. They don't let a student check out. You notice, and when you walked in, I had something for you to do. And it is really, really hard to corral a group after you have let them just go. And you know that from experience. So I just would encourage you to think of like, what can I ask them to do when they walk in? Because that can change the tone. Um, big group, that's trickier, but you can do stuff like with the letters and things like that. Small group, you can meet them at the door so glad to see you. Hey, I've got a question on the board that I'm really excited to hear your all thoughts in. So go on in, just sit quietly and look at that question. Take a moment to think about it. You just completely changed the dynamic, right, of, of what might be your normal small group. Um, so to think about those things. But it does so many things. It just validates stuff. Some of the best thoughts are from the quiet person who's just not going to volunteer. And like I said, I'm walking around and I'm hearing really great stuff from you guys. You know, and I'm going, oh, that's, you know. And it's so fun because you can hear something great from a student and validate that. And you don't have to, you don't call them out. I was walking around and I heard this great comment, blah, 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 and you say it. And you have just validated that child. No one knows it was them except maybe the person right next to them. Right, but you have just affirmed, you have something to offer, which is really beautiful. So there's just, these are just valuable in so many ways, so many ways. So I encourage you to do them. So we're going to go really quickly through them. Yeah. So there's on-the-spot TPTs, um, depending on the age of your kids. 
Think pair share, we've done a bunch of that today. If you can take away the ripple, keep the ripple and think pair share. I'm giving you 30 seconds, give them a time limit with kids. Oh my goodness, because why they're like, oh, I should do this. And, and I never keep the time. I'm always just like, okay, 30, 10 more seconds. But um, take 30 seconds, answer this question. Okay, now talk to the person next to you. Oh, well, you've done a couple of things. You've removed the anxiety of talking to a big group, but you are making, letting them process it. And then you say this great phrase. Who has heard something just really that they feel like is worth sharing? You can share your friend's idea. You can, they can share yours. It doesn't have to be this, like, put myself out there. Um, we've done a quick write and a quick draw. I asked you to do a quick draw to kind of try to put together Nowen's model before I showed you Nowen's model. If you like yours better, keep it. You like nouns? All right, his. Quick write. Um, this can be, uh, especially with your all's practices, let's take a moment and just, well, gosh, a little bit of Alexia, right? What phrase jumped out at you just in, in the passage we just read? Even without Alexio practice, just you've just read it. Before we move on, just write down a phrase that might have jumped out at you, right? Um, quick write at the end. Hey, we've just finished this lesson. Thanks for your attention. I want you to just take a minute, and I just want you to write a prayer to God about something you heard today. This is yours. You're not going to give it to me. Although you can say, if you want to share what you're learning with me, on a, and I mean, you, you're inviting feedback there, which is beautiful, right? You can give both those. Chalkboard splash. That's what you guys have been doing here. Um, especially middle school students, please just make them do stuff. You know, like, you should not be talking to middle school students for more than 10 minutes, probably, really. And you should be having their, they should be doing stuff, write something, whatever. This is just, they just think it's so great to come up to the board. And some of you did too. I mean, look at this. Right? Look, this will be true. I mean, yeah. This is amazing because as a teacher, you like immediately know what's up. And especially the hierarchy. You know, you can do all sorts of hierarchy thinking with this. <laughs> you know, what's your takeaway from today's lesson? Everybody's up there, and you walk away, and you go, oh, you didn't get anything I meant for you to get. <laughs> that's really helpful feedback for me. <laughs> or, oh, you're all trending this way. I didn't know that's going on in your hearts. This is really helpful, right? A to Z set summaries. If you want to get really technical, this might be a little more academic, but you pass everybody out a letter, you know, or go to A to Z, and we're going to summarize today's lesson. <coughs> Use your letter. Get up there. And they have to kind of summarize just such information, so helpful. Letter review, we've, oh, so review is really valuable. Um, you know, you see your students once a week, maybe. They don't know what you did last week. You know, we just jump back in, and especially if you're doing a continual lesson. I mean, if you're just doing one-offs, that's different. But if you're doing a continual lesson, you have got to review. So I will often have on the desk, um, you know, a letter, and I'll say, take that letter and remember something from last week's lesson that you can re- and put it on the board. And what's fun is, you know, one or two can remember, and then the others start going, oh, yeah. And then you start to have this. And it's just really, really helpful. And then you look and go, oh, great, they got a lot of it, and they're missing this one thing that we're covering today. And you kind of circle back. But even if you don't do a letter review, just review. Do not assume they have come in after their week of craziness, and they're, like, ready to go to Chapter 2. Of, I mean, like, no. Like, you've got to bring them along. Rankings. I had you do that, right? Um, rank. That's, this is a judgment call, and it's really, really fascinating. And you, any of these, you not only can do higher order thinking with, you can do personal things with. Um, 
So I'm thinking, Ben, I'm thinking of your like anxiety, depression talk. Like what would, we, what would it look like to put common coping mechanisms on the board and then say, pick star three and rank them for what you feel like is this prevalent in our society or that you, you yourself wrestle with or whatever. And like you just have so much information right there. And you don't even have to let them share it. You just walk around and look at what's getting starred. You know, and you, you just are suddenly getting some insight into what's going on in their heart and what they're feeling. So you can use these for personal things too. Now do that wisely. Do that in a group that is known. I mean, I, you know, you guys know what you're doing. But don't be afraid to use these to kind of stir some heart things of like what's actually going on in there. Can we name some of this? Pause star rank, we've done. And a three-sentence wrap-up. That is a really valuable thing at the end. Right, three-sentence summarize what we've done. What did you get from this? What did you take away from this? What questions do you have? Three sentences, go for it. If you're comfortable with it, have it be on a post-it, and have it be their exit their exit slip. As you walk out, hand me that. You have so much information in your hands all of a sudden of what's going on inside of them. So those are some simple ones. This is all in your packets. Um, this is a three R's in a row, three threes in a row. Um, this is what I used when I taught Old Testament survey. But um, So you have to go around, you've got this pattern, you have to go around and find someone that can answer that question for you, and then they initial it that they can answer, but then you write the answer. So this could be content. This one was like, who can tell you the four R's about being created in the image of God, define El and Yahweh, who can tell you what Genesis 3.15 says and who it's about, who can define faith, who can list the four patriarchs in Genesis. But it's a scavenger run. You're running around going, can you tell me that? And what's interesting about this is the kid is one verbally saying it to the other, and then the other is transferring that to their paper. And so you've got a lot going on. But it's a great review. Um, and it just, and you can't use the same, you know, and so that's just helpful. But that's a way to just, particularly in middle school, I'm going to um, run around and you start to see where the holes are. Because there's always one that they're like, we don't have. And I think, did I teach you that or did I not? I may not have. We did the line up, lines up, lines up, line up, excuse me, and inside, outside circle. So we did those lines. Um, but you can also do those with a circle, an inner circle, and an outer circle. And I was just going to add to that. This is a really great place for talking about implications of the topic in their lives, community, and in the world. So what are your thoughts about this? Explain why you feel this way. What way has X affected Y? I mean, you can give them some kind of thoughtful things and let them just do some processing. And again, you walk around and you're listening kind of what's being said. In the handout that you have in the digital, I have, um, I call them hot tips, the higher order thinking tips to help you kind of think about how to apply these. Um, there's just holdups. Um, I don't know if this is helpful for you. I don't know your kids, I'll just mention it, but you can have uh, these cards, right? And you ask something true, false, true with modification. I need more information. Um, great review for just concrete things. But it can also be a really interesting way into kind of getting at some heart issues. If you did that, I would teach them to kind of hold their answer here, um, you know, and, and place it in a way that you can see it and maybe not anyone else. But you will, your kids want to be known. It is amazing to me what kids will reveal about what is going on in their heart if we give them the safe space to do it. So, you know, you can kind of play with those. At middle schoolers, this is a great thing. You're just, you just you're making them do something. I don't know. I have to truth, right? Hand gestures, I've done that with you. Just that simple. Zero to five is really helpful. Um, zero being, this has been great. I'm getting it. Or excuse me, excuse me. Zero is I am asleep. This is boring. Five is like, I get this. You know, where are we? And you just, it's so interesting. You'll just see like, oh, 
Okay, we're going. Numbered heads is kind of fun. I, could, I didn't bring them. I thought about bringing them on a plane with me. But get yourself some small whiteboards. You go get the shower sheeting and cut it, have them cut it for you at Home Depot or whatever, just so they're like, and whiteboard markers. Don't give them the whiteboard markers until you really want them to do something with them because they will draw right all over them. But um, you can put them in groups of four and you throw something out for them to wrestle with. It can be topical. It can be a priority thinking question. It can be personal. Um, everybody in the group writes it down and then you call out number two and number two holds up that board each of each group. So if you, you know, and you just get immediate feedback. Everybody's supposed to be doing something. They don't know what number you're calling. You know, just it's a fun review. Um, it's a way to kind of ensure they're there and they're doing something. But the whiteboards are helpful in other ways. You can take them, let me see if I have this here. Yeah, we'll come, we'll come back to that in a second with the other whiteboards. Well, I'll say this first, with concept analysis. So whiteboards are really helpful because you could ask them to reflect on a whiteboard in a not too vulnerable personal way, but still thoughtful. And you can line these babies up around the room and you can ask them to walk around and observe similarities, differences, and surprises in a chart. And it's just really neat to see. It's affirming for them. Um, it's helpful. It's, a, it's also this collaborative learning that you have something to learn from your peers. And it can be wrestling with an idea. Like you could put a really complicated idea out there that there's not an easy answer to. And there's a little bit of anonymity in the board in the sense that you have written it, but it's also sitting out there. No one knows exactly if it's yours. <laughs> And you start to walk, you know, and, and you can start to have these conversations and stuff. So that's something else to kind of play with those whiteboards. Conflict analysis, we talked a little bit about the debate carousel. Um, I'm sorry I didn't have those forms for you to actually practice that. Confer, compare, and clarify. I don't know if you would use this, but I think this is kind of um, interesting. This is where you um, share a one-sentence summary of what you believe is the most important part of the presentation chapter or notes. And then you look at your partners say, do would they put? And then you borrow ideas and add them to yours. Now, this is more note-taking. But it's just a really interesting thing of like, what did they say? Did, did, you know? and, and I think this is where if you had a definition you were working on, like what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? You know, what was your takeaway? What was your neighbor's? Ooh, if that was good, you can add that to your definition. Right? Like, let's keep working on this together. And then you record any questions you have regarding whatever topic you are. And that's really helpful. Right? What, where are there the missteps that we need to go in and clarify? And then we've already done A to Z sentence summaries. Pause our rank. I'm not sure if I have that again. Picture pause. I had you do that a little bit with a quick draw. Um, I'll show you one. I did one. This was another time. I don't know if you were there, Ben, but when, um, I was teaching on David and sin, the power of sin. So we're looking at three passages from David's life. And we would do a picture pause. We would illustrate sin, which is really hard to illustrate. I mean, right? Like, you got to... Um, or I don't remember what all my cues were, but we would kind of stop and say, like, draw a chart, draw a, you know, all these kind of things. And then at the end, we asked them to draw, and it was, there were some kind of cool ones. I think we were talking about, yeah, the characteristics of sin, maybe. It was something, you know, kind of like, what do we learn about how sin entangles us and our own nature and that and all that. And so, and this, these were older kids. Um, you can play with that. That is it. You have this in your digital handout. Um, it has a list of resources that can be helpful for you. Let me answer a few questions and then we will do practice. Yeah. Just a comment, just all the things you're saying, the summary statements are great. I do this sometimes. When your mom and dad, dad asked, what did you learn? Yes. 
you learn X, Y, and Z. This is how you answer your parents. So your parents appreciate that. Yeah. So, you tell them what to say? Well, I say, when your parents ask, what did you learn today? I love that. What are you going to say now? Love it. Because parents do ask that. How nice of them to be like, I have an answer. It's <laughs> not good. I know. And, yeah, and you bring up a point of we need time to process that. A lot of times we ask our kids what they learned, and we haven't given them any space to process it. And, you know, I don't know about you, but if somebody caught me on the street and said, what's the, disciple, the definition of a disciple? I, you know, I need to think about it for a little bit. Yeah, that's a great observation. Yeah. So, um, I have this, like, really ambivalent um, relationship with uh, curriculums and, like, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I like I think it's great because there's like overall things and especially like the learning objectives and stuff. But I feel like the actual activities and stuff like that are kind of like difficult. So like how do you is there a good way to incorporate these things together? Like to synthesize the the two um, you know, activities yeah. I don't know what you have been told to do with your curriculum. So, I mean, this is couched in that. I don't, but um, curriculum is, in my mind, always suggestions. And I don't mean that as far as a curriculum for, for guiding a course of study over a season. I, don't, I mean, I don't mean it like you can just teach whatever. I don't mean it like that, but I mean... You know, like there's stuff, like I feel like you should feel the freedom to go in there and look and say, this works great, this does not, or this isn't me. I would never do this as a teacher. And, and, and pick and choose. And I think, and that's where I'm an advocate of having several curriculums. And sometimes one is really helpful and it can kind of give you that format, that guide. Um, and then you kind of pick and choose what works for you. And I think writing your own is really valuable by using a lot of resources, it takes a ton of time, but it ensures this kind of understand backward design, uh, which there is some good stuff out there. I'm not as familiar with Christian curriculum, to be honest with you. My school doesn't use it because we don't feel like it's very strong. We would rather take a secular curriculum and then integrate it, which they expect faculty to be able to do there well. And that can run, you have to make sure you have faculty who can do that. But, yeah. Anything else? Yeah, Ben? Um, I think that there could be a temptation to just put a curriculum together of all of these activities in a row. <laughs> is there any kind of a recommendation on how many activities is too many and what kind of flood you use of like I'm teaching now and how I'm engaging you? Wow. asking about timing and how much to use and how much. Okay, so, baby steps. Pick one and try it. See if you like it. See if it works. See if it works for who you are as a teacher and who they are as students. If it does, then try another one. Right? And start kind of adding to your arsenal. These are supposed to be things that you can pull out of your pocket and use, especially when you see the chaos is breaking loose. <laughs> um, and then I would ask the question, what would I want? I mean, you need to. So, I one time heard somebody do a great lecture on how the most important quality of a teacher is empathy, and it's really interesting as I think about teachers that I have worked with or trained. Um, 
the death of a like of a learning environment is when there's a teacher who can't put themselves in the shoes of their students, and their students are sitting there like falling asleep, and the teacher is like, "I will get through this lesson, and we will arrive here," and like they're not understanding, they're not engaged, they're like, and they're just whatever. So there's so much wisdom in what would you want. How would you want to be engaged? What do you think your students want to be engaged? Not, not that you just do what they want, but like you have to know them. Start small. Anything that is overwhelming, yeah, like just, no, that is not, this is freedom. This is invitation to like richer practices for you. So like start small. Yeah, go ahead. Well, if I can join Please. In, my advice to you in talking with a number of uh, youth pastors is look at what your students are used to because you're going to be stretching them in there, and this is all very good. But then you also, if you have a, a parent advisory team, tell them what you're doing too, mm-hmm. because you need them to be your cheerleaders, because especially if your students aren't used to this, they're like, you know, wait a minute, this, I'm not learning anything, or he's not prepared, he's making me do all that. I mean, they're all kinds of things. <laughs> but it actually, it, it is, you're getting Yes. So don't feel like you know, you're violating the author. Most authors know you're going to use yes. Use and pick and choose. That thank you. That's helpful to hear. And I'm, I apologize for saying don't use the curriculum. <laughs> <laughs> you're not the only one who told that. You probably don't use anything we publish. That's all right. Oh, I want to know what you publish. That's interesting. Oh well, we'll Just talk. Just give us your money. We'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> well, hey, let me just throw in my two cents here. Curriculum is very much a progressive education thing. Um, and, and don't get me wrong, there was the yoke of Jesus. So, I mean, there's always been this, like, what are these essential understandings and enduring, right? I mean, these things that we need to know. To, like, so that, that, in that sense, that is right. But this idea that everything has to be packaged and, um, you know, with certain outcomes and all that, like, that is, that's part of an industrial revolution education system, which is what we live in. I mean, and that's fine. I'm not... I don't want to shame that, but just like if you look at it and go, this doesn't work on something, this is not supposed to. There's a sense in which it's trying to do something that, it, you know, it isn't. And if people, let me, one of the books I recommended, um, and it, actually on Christian teaching, is, I would recommend even more than this. This is um, Teaching and Christian Practices by David Smith. He's up at Calvin College. He's thinking deeply about education, and particularly in the ways of formation. And he's not thinking about pedagogy as much as he is as all the other ways we are formed. And so, you know, he is, like, really anti, like, assessments, right? This idea you can measure this stuff. (laughs) Like, how do you measure some spiritual growth? He's actually working on an assessment for that because there is a sense in which we need, we do have to have some markers, but we have to be really careful we don't get into this idea that we, a, a modern idea, we have it all figured out, and if we just do these things, we will get these outcomes. I think that's that's what we have to be careful with with curriculum, but there's there is more and more beautiful curriculum being written that embraces everything. I mean, what we're talking about. So look, it's there, but just don't be afraid to use it. Yeah. This is going a little bit further back what we talked about earlier in fourth grade about the safe uh, mm-hmm. safe spaces for communities. Um, 
and somebody, I appreciate somebody asking about group size and everything else. Yeah. Um, how have you, uh, what are some of the kinder ways that you have engaged an antagonist in the group who just doesn't seem to understand that dynamic? Are they antagonistic to each other? Or are they antagonistic to the ideas? To each other. Because uh, I can think of several individuals in, yeah. in our groups that have been broken into smaller groups. I don't just want to exclude them from any, any group because of their unlikely, uh, because I wouldn't expect them to be able to positively engage yeah. and, and listen well. Yeah. And, um, just not sure how to really create a safe group for that person yeah and I'm honestly there's probably people in here that can speak to that better than I can so find him at lunch um, and do that I'll give you my just quick gut um, one those kids are dying to be heard and known in ways maybe even the others aren't and so um, what does that look like I think you're right it can change a whole dynamic and there's wisdom in that Yeah, I don't know. I will pray for wisdom for you. No, seriously, I don't mean there's um, antagonism to the ideas is different. I think that's where you say, that's a great question. <laughs> Let's go there, you know, and that's a different. Um, I think one on one is really valuable. Um, and then those are those kids that you are just on your knees for and watch the Lord work. I mean, just that's, I think, that's my simple answer. There's, there's more there. I just, like I said, I probably know this much about attachment, which makes me dear, really probably dangerous, but. It is important, and I, I mean, like, you guys need to be aware of that and think about that. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, our, we have a buttload of classical school kids. 90% of our youth. Are they obnoxious? Um. This isn't Christian. I'm covering right now. Um, no, no, I think they all are realizing they hear the gospel that they're not Christians. I mean, I was sent to that town to save Christian kids. Um, but, like, cell phones are such a... Yeah. So they don't trust adults. They sure as hell don't trust the church. Um, yeah. They don't trust their parents, though they act just like their parents. Um, Lord willing, I'm describing everybody. She's very mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> but, um, but cell phones are one of those things, like one of the first things that I've heard from the, the interim Please don't take their cell phones away during Easter time because that's all they're told in the classical school. Is cell phone is the devil. Oh. There's no, no, there's no eternal perspective of, a, of that gift that is a cell phone. Social media is growing in life. So my question is, um, huh. I mean, I, truth be told, two weeks ago I literally jumped over a table. Two kids were just giggling, and, and I grabbed their cell phones and said, "Thank you, and engaged." You know, and but I'm so like while you're teaching they're doing things oh yeah yeah but i mean it's it's not a big deal i mean i've tried things like i've tried to do things like hey get on your phone right now pull out your phones you know i want you to google yeah how do i know that i'm saved google that question and just try to teach them how to use it but i don't know if that's a reasonable who can relate? You're saying this is okay. I don't. I'm not claiming either of these is is correct. I'm just going to give you two thoughts. Um, one, there are ways to engage it well. There's actually um, uh, 
don't even know what they would be called, but I used it some in my classroom where you can all like log onto the same thing and like give real time feedback and it's it could be helpful. Do you know what it's called? Yes, I Okay. Um I will say this though. Our kids are being formed. And I just it, you don't want it to be punitive ever. How old are your kids, your students? I would just be, so, okay, here's my instincts. We're going to start to have some real conversations about this. And I think, could you get them to acknowledge their distraction, their lack of focus, their, I mean, could there be, a, could there be an acknowledgement that this is going to be a space that's a little bit different? And here's why. Not because it's punitive and not because I've got power and you don't and, you know, whatever might be what they're hearing. But, like, what would, could we imagine what the space could be and what are some deterrents to it? That's so interesting. And so they've had it other places and they don't appreciate it. And so then you don't want church to be this place they don't want to come because they don't have this. Yeah, again, find him at lunch. You guys share ideas. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I do want to, though, to say, like, if we are being formed all the time, I just have a hard time knowing how that's going to be helpful. I... April. Yeah, come on. It's not just high school students. I teach seminary students, and they do the same thing. So, uh, and some of you might be even doing it right now. Uh, but using it as a tool is a key thing. Yeah. Another thing I've seen a professor do is, uh, I haven't seen a youth pastor, but just they'll be sitting around, and he'll just walk As I say, do you notice that I walk a lot? And I don't do it as much as you, you're not middle school students. But, like, oh, friends. In fact, I don't want to but the group was talking about something else and I walked by and suddenly they were talking about what I asked them to talk about. Even here. Um, so presence is huge. Here's another thought. And I, you, can, I, you can give me an honest answer. If you were doing a lot more engagement, would that help? I'm not I'm saying you're not doing it. I don't know what you're doing. But I mean, if you're asking them to do these other things, would that help keep them from like... If we're asking them to passively listen and they've got a device that is way more entertaining, like, yeah, I don't blame them. If we're moving them around and making them do things, maybe that at least helps. I mean, that's part of this is trying to engage them. So maybe you don't take it away. Maybe you start to implement, like with any of these stuck with you, you're like, I kind of really like that one. Maybe you just start implementing that. And suddenly like, okay, so they can't have their board, they can't have their phone in their face while they're writing on the board. That's a win, all right? We went by, you know, and maybe that's what you do is incrementally kind of start to, can we get some engagement going on where this is not what's engaging me? I'm actually engaged because I'm having, you know, meaningful conversations. Did you want to add to that? Yeah. Um, one thing I've noticed, students hear all the time, your generation yeah. has a problem with cell phones. Because we don't. Because we don't. Yeah. <laughs> one thing I try to do for my, uh, my guys, small group on Wednesday nights, is I have a little wooden box, so go about the size of a big box, yeah. and they're allowed to have their phones during every other part mm. of youth group, but we have smaller time, and I said, okay, everyone's phones is going in the box, and I'm always the first yep. to put my phone in the box. Because, and I say, we do this because I even get distracted. Yeah. Because you have your pocket, it vibrates, and your mind goes, well, what's this about? And it immediately puts it in, oh, this, he's not just saying this is a student thing. Yeah. You're entering into, this is a distraction for me as well, and it's good to put it down for a time, Right. And then after close of prayer, they come to the box and pick up their phone. And that has worked great yeah. um, for our groups. You're also modeling um, 
appropriateness in the sense of like, it is really helpful to Google something quickly. I'm so grateful for that. <laughs> it isn't helpful for me quieting my mind and listening and thinking and even engaging with others. So I mean, maybe also just some education a lot. Like, what is it good for? It's great. I mean, I'm, so, I'm grateful for it. And what, let's also name the things that don't, but let's do that together, not me telling you. I think that's just really important with students. Yeah. Like, I think to your point, like, students are constantly dreaming how the use of cell phones, cell phones are like the result of the fall, and they're not dreaming how they're not hearing that. They're not hearing that this is something that's, that can be good. They, they are often hearing it in the sound that these are bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think it's our job, their parents' job, anyone who loves them and is supporting them to come in and say, like, these are the ways that these things are usually good. Um, and so we can redeem this, this, this part of our life um, and hear a few ways we can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wise. Yeah. This is where y'all need to be talking. I mean, because this is, these are great questions and ideas. Yeah. Okay, I feel bad being like the eighth person to talk about cell phones, but. Uh, <laughs> there is a reason. Yeah, there's probably a reason. No, I really believe in peer pressure. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so what, what, one of the things that, that's been helpful for us is, so I have a servant team, but if you don't have a servant team, you can take some key leaders aside and say, hey, like, what do you get the buy-in? What do you think about, you know, cell phone use in a large group or whatever it is? And uh, generally, they'd be like, yeah, it's not a good idea, you know. Mm -hmm. And then from that, instead of kind of doing the big blanket, like, what are y'all doing to get off your cell phones thing, you begin to see some positive cultural influences mm -hmm. by your peers, kind of like being committed and saying, yeah, mm -hmm. you're right, like, we shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And that slowly but surely mm -hmm. should see its way or feed its way into the group. And so just kind of changing those cultural dynamics is a helpful for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's helpful. I don't have a good answer. That one. Any other comments about cell phones? Suggestions? Questions? About things more generally? Yeah. I have used it's called Lipsy, L I P S I, and I use it whenever a big question gets from all on and submit it, and I don't know if they send it. Anonymous. Lipsy. L I P S I. Lipsy. Yeah, that, that is, is helpful. And it's the things they'll text that they won't tell, too. Like, you might get some more truthful answers. Putting that in. Although, but I really still would cautious across, when we're talking about what you need is joy and rest for your brain to function well, I, I just, cell phones do not give us rest. And, and that is, there's, there's research showing us. <laughs> we even think they do. We go to them to check out because we're so tired and we think it's going to be this, and instead it's just ramping us up. So that's where I do want to be cautious of like, whoa, we, we still have a space <laughs> If they're showing up in your student ministry, you still have this space where you can actually give them space to be quiet and teach them some solitude. And, and not, I'm not talking about boring them. I mean, but like really let them settle into some joy and rest in the Lord and just don't lose that um, because we don't want to be uncool and take their phones away. I mean, just that is, you know, you have a captive audience in some ways. Like, let's use it for, you know put them in front of the Lord as much as we can with that. So that would just be my caution. Like, realistically, that can happen. But yeah, maybe a practice of, hey, we're not going to do this. Check it out, you know, whatever. Great. Anything else? You guys are awesome. Thank you. It has been just a joy to be with you. I will be hopping on a plane here in a little bit, but I would love to talk with you. Um, we were hoping to do a, a practice together and, and didn't have time. So here's my idea. Um, is anybody familiar with Zoom? video conferencing. Um, we have found it to be a helpful 
if you are interested, I don't know if I have any contact information anywhere, but Ben, can I make you be my point person? Ben and Ben, those two blonde boys back there. Um, I would, I would, because I have found this practice to be so helpful. If you are interested, I would love, we could orchestrate a Zoom video conference call. We can find a time that works. Maybe we can do a couple that work for people and um, we could meet together and do that. And just so you could kind of like partake in an experience that way. I'd also, if somebody here might not be comfortable with that or something, it's kind of an opt in. So if you're interested in that, would you um, maybe give your info to Ben or Ben and then I will, I will follow up and reach out on that. But that might be a way for us to gather around some of these things and then um, and then we could even talk a little bit more about what you're trying. Because I'm super curious what's your experience. Like, I would love to learn from you. Um, so I would welcome an invitation to kind of hear what you're doing and brainstorm together. We can have little labs everywhere. Yes? I don't know what time you have to leave, but I think in addition to that, you could just say, hey, maybe I want to stay for the next 15 minutes afterwards. Like, that would still be a self-selected thing. Yes. Not to force anybody to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me see what time my flight is. Nashville Airport, how early do I have to be there? 45 minutes. Are you on Southwest? No. Oh, I'm American? American. Are you checking luggage? Yeah. 40, so I have to be 45 ahead of time. I know. I'm, I don't know. Oh. Huh? Yeah, like yeah. Hey. <laughs> I do trust Ben. Now we're talking. How, what do you think about that, Ben? Okay. Um, I tell you what. I will stay for a few minutes with you, and I'll orient you and leave you with this, and then we can talk. And then if you guys would like to do that, you can stay put. So that's not good. Hey, let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you that you are here with us. We thank you that you will go with us back into our communities. We thank you that you know the answers to these questions. We thank you that you are pursuing our students and you're pursuing us. Um, We ask for your help. We ask that you remind us and teach us and show us and lead us in how to do life with you, including questions about cell phone and age-appropriate developmental stages and how to love the, the kids that are just struggling to interact with others and and how to take care of ourselves so that we can use our bodies to honor you. Um, We ask, Lord, that you would make us, um, continue to make us your disciples, that we would obey you, delight in you, do life with you, and that that would be for the the good of the world, that you would just um, use each of these people, Lord, in the kingdoms that you have given them. Bless their work. Bless their work. We thank you that you are good and big and in charge and redeeming all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, y'all.